This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Future Talk podcast. This is Future Talk. Future Talk. Future Talk with Omnial Saleh and Hany Balkis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Future Talk right here on Pulse 95. It is me, Hany Balkis, with Omnial Saleh, bringing you everything you need to know about what's happening in the tech world, in the UAE, and all around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, today is the 31st of January, and we know what that means that means fuel prices are now being up and ladies and gentlemen for the month of february fuel prices will be up uh slightly and uh you know maybe it's a good time right now to buy an electric vehicle <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen in the world of tech we're talking about a foldable ipad and how it could arrive as early as next year yes indeed and we're also going to be talking all about what is happening in the world of healthcare when it comes to incorporating tech we're going to be listening to a very interesting conversation with dr samit sayed who is the gm of connector care and healthcare informatics at philips he's going to be giving us all the latest details about the role of ai in healthcare and to what extent can unified data systems improve healthcare Yes, and ladies and gentlemen, as well, we're talking about NASA's Mega Moon rocket and how it aced the first flight and is ready for the crewed Artemis 2 launch. Now, we do know for a while now the Artemis 2 launch has been, you know, underway and a lot of people have been excited for it. But now it is finally ready to go up into space and go to the moon. Absolutely. In the world of applications, we're talking everything Google Chrome and how they have recently updated their fingerprint lock for the incognito mode so that you can go ahead and browse even more privately than ever before. If you want to find out exactly how you can do that, especially if you own an Android device, we're going to be getting into all those details in just a bit. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, keep it locked right here on Pulse95. Daily Digital News. Bits and bytes connect our world. Ladies and gentlemen, the foldable iPad could arrive as early as next year. Now, I see no appeal with a foldable iPad as, you know, iPads are just tablets that should be quick, easy, and accessible. But for me, when it comes to foldable, I would believe foldable phones were more appealing to a lot of people because... Well, you would have a bigger screen, much more room to do things on if you would like to doodle, write notes, etc. But you didn't want the aspect of a tablet or an iPad. But apparently, Apple could be on track to release a foldable iPad as early as next year. That is according to a supply chain analyst who does say they are positive about the foldable iPad in 2024 and expecting this new model will boost shipments and improve the product's mix. Now, he does see, he does also say something that I'm very excited about, which is the revamped iPad mini, and it will be entering mass production in 2024 as well. So, I actually told Omnia yesterday, <laughs> I said, Omnia, as soon as they're dropping a new iPad, you best believe I'm throwing the one that I have, not throwing it away, I will be, you know, trading it in. And getting myself a new iPad. I have no doubt about that because if anyone is advocating for people to buy iPads, it would be minis. New. Minis in specific. Um, uh, the latest analyst has actually been saying that the foldable iPad is not too far away from being a reality. And we've definitely seen a lot mm -hmm. of people talk about how uh, Apple wants to create foldable laptops, touch screens uh, for MacBooks, but nothing has been confirmed. However, this is 
one mm-hmm. we could say speculation that we're actually mm. confirmed about. Now, looking at it, this isn't the first time that we've seen an analyst actually put a date on the Apple foldable prediction, especially after he did say that a foldable iPhone might be released in 2023, two years ago. We have yet to see that. However, it does sound like it might be a much smaller device with a screen size in the region of 7.5 to 8 inches. We've also seen that this specific, we could say, analyst has actually also reported that Apple has been discussing releasing a foldable device with a similar screen to the 6.7-inch iPhone 12 Pro Max, but in the size, or we could say in the shape of an iPad or an Mm -hmm. iPad mini. Um, In the more immediate future, we are looking at Apple possibly uh, being predicted to drop an iPad shipments of between 10 and 15 percent year over year in 2023, given the bump in sales that they have enjoyed by most consumer tech companies during the COVID lockdowns. The drops may have experienced that they have experienced more recently, maybe declining a little bit. And I hope that they do actually Mm -hmm. uh, cause their sales to boom a little bit more. Yes. And again, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking at how Apple is trying to pull a lot of, uh, you know, rabbits out of the hat. Now, earlier last week, Omni 9 talked about, uh, you know, touchscreen laptops, touchscreen MacBook Pros. And again, now they're trying to do a foldable iPad. But at the same time, you know, a couple of years ago, Apple went out and said that we would never have a touchscreen laptop because that would, you know, diminish the use of the iPad. So we don't know really what's going on with Apple right now, but I believe that Apple, I mean, I'm not no uh, analyst, but I'm just going to say my two cents, right? I believe that Apple should keep laptops the way laptops are, are no touchscreen, nothing, just keep it. I mean, they had the touch bar, it failed miserably. Just let's keep everything basic as it is iPads, tablets, touchscreen, yes. If you want a keyboard with it, you can get one, etc., etc., etc. So I believe that, you know, all this, uh, you know, flashy new stuff in Arabic, we call it Maradai. You know, <laughs> it's just like there's no need for it. Let's keep it everything plain and simple. And you know what they say, ladies and gentlemen, what's not broken, do not fix it. 4215, ladies and gentlemen, let us know your guys' thoughts. What do you think about a foldable iPad? And I want to ask you guys a personal question. What do you guys also think about the, the touchscreen laptops. I personally think both of them would be a horrible. Daily digital news. Bits and bytes connect our world. If you thought that ChatGPT was once smart, and now it has become even smarter. Yesterday, Hani was telling us all about how ChatGPT actually passed his medical or its medical board exam. Mm-hmm. And today we got news that... It, uh, it has actually also passed prestigious graduate level exams. So we're looking at it actually passing law exams in four courses at the University of Minnesota and another exam at a University of uh, Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. And so now we're looking at ChatGPT being smart enough to actually become more well-equipped to answer questions further away than just the typical questions that you might ask it about life or day-to-day things. And so to test how well ChatGPT could generate answers on exams for the four courses, professors at the University of Minnesota, Minnesota Law School recently graded the tests blindly. And after completing 95 multiple choice questions and 12 essay questions, can you imagine a bot actually answering essay questions? Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually, or it was actually able to perform at an average level. We can't say he aced it with an A plus or an A. He actually was at the level of a C plus student, achieving a low but a passing grade in all four courses. Yes, and uh, actually, ladies and gentlemen, I've had my fair share of fun talking to Chat GPT, and I've actually 
asked it to write me a 3,000 word essay <laughs> on why cardio should be done every single day. Oh my God. And believe it or not, actually, you know, when I was using ChatGPT, hmm. right, I'm going to stop saying ChatGPT because I keep saying GBT. Let's just call it ChatG. ChatG. Yes, mm-hmm. ChatG sounds much, much funner. <laughs> so ChatG, ladies and gentlemen, I've been using it, uh, you know, just to ask a random question. Sometimes I would tell it, uh, you know, very specific questions. So I would say, uh, give me the rundown and a summary of what happened during World War One, and, you know, uh, what led up to World War Two in a, an essay. So it could be kind of like conjuring with one another. And actually, ladies and gentlemen, it, would, it, did, it did actually, you know, very it was very fun believe it or not i spent like three hours a couple days ago <laughs> just talking to chat g uh, chat g and um i i noticed something so mm. actually the cutoff is 2021 cutoff of what it's information it has no information above after 2021 the year 2021 no way yeah that is the one that we use so the okay. one that we use is, has a cutoff of 2021 so the any premium inf- is more is more advanced. i i think uh the 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 one that is up to date is for per, for their, the company's use. It's okay. not for consumer use. Yeah. So we've been I've been using using it. I've been saying how, you know, Chat has been very smart. And actually, I've been asking it very you know sophisticated questions as well. And I'm tr- I was trying to break it, and uh, it didn't break, believe it or not. But again, we were looking at how you know Chat G actually a couple of days ago did pass the bar exam when it did come uh, to to medicine, and as well when it did come to the law exam. So we are looking at how Chat G apparently is breaking numbers and breaking statistics when it does come to how smart AI can function. Now, we do know that ChatG was made available in November and has been used to generate original essays, stories, and even song lyrics in response to user prompts. So whatever a user would type in, ChatG would, again, serve. Now, it has also drafted research paper abstracts that fooled some scientists, and some CEOs even have used it to write emails or do accounting work. Now, ChatG is trained on vast amounts of online data. And this is when we talked to you guys about machine learning a couple of years ago and how it was just coming up and not a lot of people understood it. But machine learning, so basically ChatG is an AI that is, you know, being being fed tons and tons of information. And it reads through all this information, then formulates, we can say, in quotes, ideas, mm-hmm. right? And then once these ideas are formulated, we'll use them as kind of like a weapon in their back pocket. So actually with Omnia, if mm. you would ask the chat G very, you know, well-structured questions, you would see the reply would take a little bit of time. Mm. You would see it'd be like, so it'd be like, yeah, honey, so I understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> but for example, and then you would see like the typing sign, right? And then it would just keep typing, typing, and it would stop for a second and it would be retrieving more and more information. It's processing. And, and sometimes it would even delete words and continue. Mm. So again, ladies and gentlemen, ChatG is a crazy, crazy concept right now. And we've been seeing Microsoft pour billions of dollars into OpenAI, uh, who is the maker of ChatG. So I'm really excited to see what is the next step. And I even tried to make it write me a script (laughs) for Python, and it worked. Believe it or not, when it comes to questions, I think he's more or it's more well equipped to answer kind of analytical questions than just basic stuff. So a lot of researchers have been saying that it actually struggles with basic math. It does a lot of mistakes when it comes to that. However, it does an amazing job at answering, like, let's say, basic operations management questions or even uh, we could say process based questions. So it can explain it can truly give you suggestions on different analytical paths when it comes to answering a specific question. So it's actually quite interesting to see how 
not only is it able to state the facts, but it can also curate a good argument to convince you with the facts. Yes, and again, a lot of programmers have been using ChatG to help them with their Python uh, programming code. Because, uh, you know, sometimes when you're programming, you get stuck on an equation because programming is an equation and you get stuck on it for a while. So a lot of programmers would copy and paste uh, their code into ChatG and be like, hey, find me the mistake. And <laughs> ChatG would find the mistake. Very crazy. And I kind of want to learn coding. But again, it's a little bit it's easy, but, you know, it takes a little bit of a dedication. 4215, ladies and gentlemen. Let us know, you guys. Thoughts. We are taking a short break, but when we come back, we got more news happening in the tech world and right here in Sharjah. Pulse, Pulse ninety five. Tech this out. Tech this out. Pulse ninety five. One small step <laughs> for man, and one big leap for man. I think it was mankind. mankind yeah, yeah, yeah. But ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Again, we're talking about space exploration and the moon as NASA's mega moon rocket has aced the first flight and is ready for the crewed Artemis to launch. Now, we are looking at how the enormous space launch system did pass its first test with flying colors. And NASA's preliminary analysis does conclude and the rocket and Orion capsule are good to go for their next mission that has been anticipated for quite some time now. Now, Omni and I have talked about it literally every other week. Artemis 2, which will carry a crew to the lunar orbit. Yes, indeed. Now, this launch actually took a lot of delays, enormous cost overruns, and a lot of people were actually worried that it was never going to launch. But finally, what is nicknamed as the Mega Moon Rocket, the professional name for it is SLS, uh, actually launched very successfully. And we're looking at it actually looking uh, to undertake another 25-day mission so that they can hopefully bring back an uncrewed Orion capsule in the near future. Now, its success was apparent. However, it wasn't a case of all or nothing. Reams of data of data needed to be analyzed by NASA's team to make sure that the Artemis one did not succeed in spite of serious problems. Fortunately, though, that does not seem to be the case. Although the teams are still working through the terabytes of raw data that they were actually able to get, the agency has pronounced that the mission was good enough to endorse its sequel. Yes, and ladies and gentlemen, we have been seeing, you know, just like Oni did mention, numerous delays, and that is why we've been talking about it so much, because every time we got excited that, hey, we're going to the moon, there would be a delay. Now, we are looking at how the launch was supposed to be in November, but again, a lot of things were happening, and Oni, I actually, you know, explained to you guys a couple of months ago why it's so important to have a launch window for rocket ships, because there's a lot of, you know, variables that go into consideration when launching a rocket. For example... The wind, mm -hmm. the weather, the space, the orbit, where where is the Earth currently right now? How far is the moon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, we are looking at how the crewed mission does obviously depend entirely on the success of Artemis 1. And this is the clearest indication since the launch that the SLS and Orion are, you know, quantifiably good enough. And it's a big step to say, yes, we're moving forward with putting astronauts on this thing. But of course, there's a lot more work to come before it does take place. Now, Artemis 1's timeline didn't go exactly as planned, but having verified that the rocket works as expected may help hurry up along the next part of NASA's big plan to return to the moon. Now, we've seen NASA and a lot of space agencies across the world, you know, try to get back onto the moon, try to use the lunar surface for good. And, you know, we have a whole entire moon up in space that we have not utilized yet. 
Now, this just goes to a bigger plan that a lot of space agencies and a lot of tech mongols, uh, you know, want to get into, which is the red planet. And mm -hmm. we do want to, you know, we can say colonize Mars and we want to conquer Mars. And to do that, we will need a pit stop. Just like if you're going to Abu Dhabi right now or you're <laughs> going to Khurfakan, you will stop at a gas station or a rest stop, eat some food, drink water, you know, pray, and then continue your way to Khurfakan. Same thing on your trip to Mars. You would want to pit stop somewhere, refuel, check everything out, and continue your way to the Red Planet. 4215, ladies and gentlemen, listen to you guys' thoughts. We are taking a short break, but when we come back, a lot more news is happening for you. Tech this out. Tech this out. Healthcare and technology come hand in hand, and we've definitely seen what are the different benefits of having healthcare in truly making sure that we are intertwining healthcare and technology all at the same time to celebrate the achievements of the we could say the technology sector when it comes to the field of healthcare. We have definitely seen the Arab Health event taking place year after year and this year is the 48th edition of it. Thousands of health professionals and industry leaders from across the globe have actually been heading to the annual conference, the Arab Health Conference that showcases cutting-edge technology and innovation that is aimed at advancing patient care. This is by far the UAE and the region's largest healthcare exhibition that is taking center stage at the Dubai World Trade Center. It started out yesterday and it's going to be taking place over the next three days. Now, looking at it, our very own Adil Karim Hanif, the host of Morning Majlis, was actually there and he had a chance to speak to uh, Dr. Samad Sayed, who is actually the GM of Connector Care and Healthcare Informatics at Philips. They discussed everything from the role of AI in healthcare to what extent can unified data systems improve healthcare. So we'll get a chance to listen to what he had to say. Right, talking AI, role of AI and digital healthcare with the general manager at Philips Connected Care, Healthcare Informatics from Middle East, Turkey and Africa. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now let's start off by talking about the role of AI and healthcare. Where are we going with this and what is the role of technology when it comes to providing patient care? Let me first start with the technology part, if you don't mind. Uh, one of the things that is extremely important when it comes to healthcare is that the different systems that exist in a healthcare setting talk to each other and exchange data because a patient is one. And therefore, the seamless flow of data of a patient is absolutely critical to provide this value-based healthcare. But there are challenges. There is the legacy system. There are the legacy systems that are out there that might not be uh, ready to talk to each other because they were designed like that. Uh, and therefore, all the solutions that we work on and that my team works on, which, which we call interoperability solutions, make those systems talk to each other. So this is first. The second thing is, at a certain point, we will find ourselves with a shortage of a lot of things one of the key things that we will be short of are doctors and nurses. There's already a shortage worldwide, 14 million. So at a certain point, we need to free the time of the doctor to do what the doctor is supposed to do, which is taking care of the patient, and automate a lot of the tasks that doctors are doing right now and make the system do them, right? So this is the second part. The third part is how do we ensure that artificial intelligence 
which is not a product, just to be clear. You know, it's not you know, a product that you plug and play. It's a system. These are algorithms that are developed for a purpose, for a certain purpose. So you will have algorithms that will be very good at uh, cancer, breast cancer screening, because they were developed and trained on images of breast cancer. So you cannot use this app to detect a brain tumor. This is another application. And therefore, what we think of is how do we ensure that AI is not considered the pro just a product or an application, but it's pervasive across the system that we build. So we build our systems and solution with AI in mind, so there is embedded artificial intelligence to help a radiologist, a neurologist, an intensivist take the right decision. But thinking of it as a whole, the one thing that we should look at is how do we transform healthcare from just a cost center to a value creation area. And therefore, this is the, 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 the thinking that we have in terms of value-based healthcare. Systems should augment the capacity of doctors. There is no doctor that will be replaced by uh, uh, AI. But AI will do a lot of things that doctors will not have to do anymore, and they will have more time to do what they should be doing more, which is taking care of the patient. And when you do that, then you start thinking, okay, how do we ensure that the patient, which is unfortunately in a situation of sickness, of illness, how do you ensure that the experience of the patient is seamless as well? So as much as we can, we improve the patient experience. The one thing that you can do in improving the patient experience is that his data travels with him. So whatever he does somewhere, it's already somewhere else for a doctor to, do, to, to see and to look at and to act upon. But we have also the reality of the cost. How do we ensure that we optimize all the systems that are out there in order to reduce cost? Because nobody can, cope, can continue coping with the cost of healthcare. It's a lot of money. And therefore, when you think through these four dimensions, the patient, the caregiver, the optimization of system, and the reduction of cost, then you look at this quadruple aim that we think as, at Philips is actually at the core of everything we do. This out. Take this out. All Ladies and gentlemen, Google Chrome has now updated with a fingerprint lock for incognito tabs on Android. Now, a lot of us use incognito mo mode. I use incognito mode. Omnia, do you use incognito mode? I do. Not very often, but sometimes I would. I use it a lot mm. because sometimes I want my information to be private. But if you, let's say, give your phone to someone, Omnia, mm. and they accidentally open your incognito tabs, what would happen? I would be embarrassed. Because sometimes I, I, you know, I open dodgy stuff sometimes. It's just the way the internet works. So now Android understands that and Google understands that. And that is why you will now have a fingerprint lock when you want to open your incognito tabs. This feels as secure as having a face ID connected to your WhatsApp mm -hmm. or even your Photos app. And so now any Google Chrome user will be able to unlock their incognito tab with their fingerprint after reopening the browser on Android. Now, a lot of people have actually been waiting for this feature. It is a brand new feature that is rolling out to users on Android phones first, but will hopefully be coming to iOS users very soon as well. Any user will be able to unlock them by using biometric authentication, 
More specifically for Android users, it's by using the fingerprint scanner on their smartphone. Uh, we are looking at all users having access to this feature because the biometric lock feature for incognito tab was actually first introduced back in 2021 mm -hmm. for iOS devices. And so now it's finally making its way to Android uh, users after a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, ladies and gentlemen, again, we've seen, you know, a lot of tech developers trying to cater more for people who want to have their information privately stored. And obviously, privacy is always the best policy. Now, obviously, you know, because Google does own Android, this is the first of the feature that's going to come out. And then soon enough, it will be rolled out onto Apple devices or iOS devices as well. As within time, ladies and gentlemen, obviously there's a lot of approvals, but instead of fingerprint, we would probably get face ID. So ladies and gentlemen, I've been telling you guys to text us in at 4215 throughout the whole entire show. And uh, we see that someone has texted us and we want to give a big shout out, shout out to Agab who texted us in and said, yes, privacy is always the best policy. And he always does use incognito mode. So again, thanks Agab for texting us in. Ladies and gentlemen, our text lines are always open, 4215. Do text us, we'll give you a shout out on the air. And obviously tell us your thoughts and opinions on whatever we are talking about. But this does conclude Future Talk for today. But Omni and I will see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place, only here on Pulse. 95. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 2 p.m.